Bread. There are few things that are more appealing to the senses than freshly baked bread. Walking into a room where bread is baking immediately warms our heart, doesn't it? Just, oh, the smell of the bread baking. Our mouth begins to water as we anticipate the bread. You know, bread is one of the very first prepared foods human beings learn to make. In fact, humans were making bread many centuries, many centuries before developing formal agriculture. In fact, our desire for bread could very well have been one of the driving forces for learning to cultivate grains. Bread, in its many forms, is found in every culture throughout history, nourishing people and lifting hearts. Jesus said this about himself, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I want to take a look at a story from chapter 6 of the Gospel of John today. So if you have your Bible, you can make your way there. If you don't have a Bible, don't panic. We're going to put all the scriptures up on the screen, so it'll be real easy for you to... A little background for the story this morning. John chapter 6 begins with telling the story of Jesus feeding a huge crowd of people, numbering in the thousands, with just five small loaves of bread and two small fish. It was an astonishing miracle, especially when we consider that everyone in the crowd believed to number 10,000 or more, ate their fill, and there were 12 large baskets of leftovers. Imagine that. There was more food left over than what they had started with. The main point of the miracle, though, was not to highlight Jesus' skill as a caterer. The miracle was intended to teach us about who Jesus is. When Jesus first floated the idea to his disciples that he wanted to feed this huge crowd of people, as a test, he asked Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And Philip, overwhelmed with the idea of trying to feed so many people, he answered, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each person to have a bite. Well, that wasn't the answer that Jesus was really going for. The right answer to the question was Jesus himself. He is the bread. The bread was with them. And he is more than enough bread for the whole world. Jesus is the bread who has come from God to give us eternal life. Well, later that same evening, Jesus sent the disciples across the Sea of Galilee toward the town of Capernaum while he stayed behind to spend some time alone with God the Father. But seeing the disciples in the middle of the lake struggling against a strong wind and rough seas, Jesus walked on the water out to them and then brought the boat safely to shore. The next day, the crowd of people, they returned to the place where Jesus had fed them the day before. But he and his disciples, they weren't there. So they went looking for Jesus and they found him in the town of Capernaum. And this is where we pick the story up in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. It says, when they found him, 
on the other side of the lake. They asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures through eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval." So when the people find Jesus already with his disciples in Capernaum, they're wondering how and when he got there. See, they remembered that Jesus had not gone with his disciples in the boat the evening before. But rather than explain the mystery to them about how Jesus got to the other side of the lake, Jesus confronts them about their shallow motive for wanting to find him. They didn't understand the meaning of the miraculous sign that Jesus had done the day before when he fed the thousands of people. What they do know is Jesus had given them a free meal and they are hoping to get another one from him now. Jesus said in verse 27, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. In other words, Jesus is saying, you're chasing after the wrong things. Don't follow after me hoping to get a meal to fill your stomach. Follow after me because I can give you a different kind of food, eternal food, food that will feed you spiritually, food that will satisfy your soul, food that will give you eternal life. Jesus is trying to get them to think deeper than their physical appetites and desires. He's trying to get them to think about their spiritual need. He's trying to get them to see who he really is and what he can do for them. But as we'll see as we progress through this conversation that he has with these people, the the people are stuck seeing and hearing everything from a physical, materialistic, this world point of view. Well, what about us? Are we chasing after the wrong thing too? Are we working for food that spoils rather than food that endures to eternal life? Are we stuck in our thinking, only seeking after the physical rather than seeking after our spiritual needs? Are we blind to who Jesus really is? The same problem exists in our day that existed in that day. It's hard to get people to think any deeper about their lives than their physical appetites and their desires, their next meal, their careers, their retirement accounts, their lovers, their appearances among their peers, the acquiring of new things, the gratifying of their present needs and wants. And people are still, too, trying to figure out how Jesus can help them get the things that they want from him. But Jesus didn't come for any of that. He came to free us from attachment to these things, to fill us on a much deeper level than our physical appetites and desires that only point to something greater. He came to give us something more secure to hope in and to build our future on that than the things of this world. He came to give us a bigger vision and purpose for our life than little pink houses and Cadillacs. (laughs) Jesus doesn't mean that we're to stop working for our physical food in this life. We need to work 
in order to eat. The Bible teaches us that we are to work for our food. We aren't to be freeloaders on society, mooching off other people. We're supposed to instead be contributors and givers in this life. But Jesus is talking about our preoccupation, our core motivation in life, our main driving force, where our heart is at, what we really hunger for, where our treasure is at, what we hold in highest value in our life, what we cannot live without. The Lord said in Isaiah 55 too, Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and, I will and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Jesus said, The Son of Man will give it to you. Jesus himself is the source of this eternal food, of spiritual life, and he will give it to those who come to him seeking it. Verse 28 says, Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So when they hear Jesus say that they should Work for food that endures to eternal life. Well, they want to know what this work is. They want to know what they need to do to earn God's favor to get this food. Jesus answers them with a wordplay. He tells them, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. This, this is the thing that they have not done. They have not believed in the one God has sent. The Messiah is standing right in front of them, having a conversation with them. And rather than believe in him, they want to know what work they need to do. And Jesus responds by telling them that they need to believe in him. No amount of work will ever overcome or make up for their unbelief. On the surface, it sounds easy to believe in Jesus as the one God has sent, as Savior, as Messiah, as the giver of eternal life. But this work that many of these people are not willing to do. And it is this work alone that they must do in order to receive eternal life. And you know, it's the same for us in our day. No amount of work that we do can ever overcome or make up for unbelief. Putting it in terms that people often use in our day, being a good person is not a substitute for faith in Jesus Christ. We can spend our whole life pursuing moral purity and being a good person. But if we fail to believe in Jesus as the Christ, trusting in Him rather than in ourself for our salvation, then it counts for little. Why? Because our work is not a pure work. It's intermixed with wrong motives and misdirected goals. Our work is inconsistent. I mean, we have our good moments when we are generous and kind and we do the right thing, but we also have plenty of moments when we're petty and we're selfish and we give in to our worst impulses. Our work is not perfect. Belief in Jesus requires an abandoning of our efforts to be our own Savior, Believing in Jesus, trusting in Him as our Savior, having faith in Him to give us eternal life, it includes an acknowledgement by us that we can't do it ourselves. 
Not until we've come in humble faith to Jesus, recognizing our inability to save ourselves, casting all upon His great work on the cross that was done for us, then can our work be redeemed and become an expression of worship that glorifies Him. This is so hard for people to accept and get hold of, though. Our minds go down the same track that these people in the story do. We want to know what work we must do to earn eternal life. And Jesus tells us the same thing he tells them. Believe in me. Don't believe in yourself. Believe in me. We have to stop pursuing our own God projects and bend our knee in humble submission and dependence on the one and only true God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast or think that they had anything to do with their salvation. If we believe in Jesus and then give our life away in service to him, It isn't work in the same sense anymore then because we are not doing it to earn our salvation or gain a better spot in heaven. We're doing it out of gratitude and love for Jesus that he has given us eternal life. Verse 31, they reply, So they ask him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. They they understand that Jesus is making reference to himself when he tells them that the work of God is to believe in the one he sent. So they ask him to give them a miraculous sign so they can believe in him. Now, considering all that Jesus has been doing, their request for a miraculous sign is beyond ridiculous. In John 6, 2, we're told that the reason this great crowd of people are following Jesus is because of the miraculous signs that he's doing among them. Jesus miraculously fed this huge crowd of people, numbering in the thousands, just the day before, with a few small loaves of bread and a couple of little fish. Clearly, Jesus has already given them many miraculous signs. What more do they want? What more can he do to convince them? And the answer is, there is no sign that he can give that will convince them. They're on a different wavelength from Jesus. They are blind to the true nature of the signs that he has given them. Their heart is closed to the idea that he is the Messiah. Some people say, show me a miracle and I will believe. Well, more often than not, that's an excuse. There's already enough evidence for us to have a reasonable faith in Jesus as the Christ. If our heart is open to him, if we're closed to Jesus, then additional evidence is not going to move us to the place of belief in him. There's something else going on here, too. Feeding the huge crowd was a uniquely amazing miracle. And at the same time, it was familiar to these people. It it, it caused them to make a connection between Jesus and the great prophet 
that Moses had predicted would come, the great prophet who would be the Messiah. You might remember many centuries earlier when Moses was leading the Israelite people out of Egyptian slavery and across the Sinai wilderness toward their promised land of Israel, God fed them with a special mysterious bread from heaven they called manna. And the manna would appear on the ground every morning for the people to collect for their food each day. The crowd was so taken up with the idea that Jesus is this prophet that Moses said would come, that they were on the verge of rioting the day before, wanting to force Jesus to be their Messiah King and lead them in rebellion against their Roman oppressors. In John 6.14 it says, After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Well, the people, they're now saying that if Jesus is really the prophet who was to come, then they want him to give them bread from heaven every day, just like Moses did for their forefathers. See, they're still wanting to be fed. I mean, they're still angling for another free lunch. They're still thinking on a this-world level. They are blind to the spiritual reality that Jesus is trying to get them to see, namely who he is. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus, he first points out that Moses was not the one who gave their forefathers the bread from heaven. It was God, the Father, who gave it to them. But further, it's not Moses who's giving them the true bread from heaven now either. It's God, the Father. The bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The bread of God is a person. It's Jesus. He gives life to the world. So 34, sir, they said, always give us this bread. They're still not really listening to Jesus. They're still hearing what they want to hear. They are still asking him to give them physical food, bread, so they won't have to work for their bread anymore. They are still after a free meal ticket rather than spiritual life. So Jesus declares in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread of life, he said. The bread of life is bread that produces life, that provides life, that is necessary for life, eternal life. This is the first of several I am declarations that Jesus will make in the Gospel of John. In John 8, 12, Jesus will say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Then in John 10, 9, Jesus will say, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. In John 10, 11, Jesus will say, I'm the good shepherd. 
the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In John eleven twenty five, Jesus will say, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. In John 14, 6, Jesus will say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in John 15, 5, Jesus will say, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, coming back to our story, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The way we enjoy the benefits of this bread is by coming to Jesus, by believing in Jesus. A little later in the same conversation, Jesus will say this down in John 6, 47. He says, Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The bread of their forefathers that they ate in the wilderness, the manna, was was bread that can fill a hungry stomach and provide nourishment for a physical body, but it can't provide eternal life. These people who ate the manna, they would eventually all die. But Jesus is the living bread that came down from heaven who can give us eternal life. Now Jesus, he said, we must come to him. Jesus has said we must believe in him. And now he says we must eat him. This is a very vivid metaphor that he uses to fill out what it means to come to and believe in Jesus. When we eat something, we're taking it into us. We're recognizing the thing eaten as valuable and important for our life. We draw nourishment from the thing eaten. It it, it gives us life. We're giving this thing eaten access to our life on an intimate level. When we believe in Jesus, it means we take him into us. We invite him to become a part of us. We recognize him as a vital, important element for our life. We draw nourishment from him. He he gives us life. And we give him access to ourself on an intimate level. This is what it means to eat Jesus. Well, back to verse 36, it says, But as I told you, you've seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me, I will come. All those the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I, Jesus, will raise them up at the last day. 
As Jesus was resurrected on the third day, so those who put their faith in him will also be raised up. They have the hope of resurrection. And so we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter, knowing that those who believe in him, the bread of life, have eternal life and will be resurrected too. On Jesus being the bread of life, Lilius Trotter wrote this, and uh, just to kind of provide it, a, a bit of introduction so you can get on to what she's saying. She, she's describing bread beginning with the grain itself and making it into flour and then making it into bread and finally breaking it and eating it. So she says, For the kernel of wheat bears the cutting of the sickle and the trampling of the oxen and the crushing of the mill and the heat of the furnace, and the breaking by the hands of man, that it may fulfill its ministry. Even thus did our Lord Christ go through stage after stage of surrender and suffering, even unto death, that through the laying down of his life, he might impart life to us. When closing, I... I ask, what about you? What about you? Are, are you like the people in this story? You've seen Jesus and still you don't believe. He has shown you who he is, but you still don't believe. Or do you now believe that he is indeed the bread of life? Do you believe that he gave his life for you, dying on the cross as a sacrifice for your sins so that your guilt before God can be removed and you can have eternal life? Do you believe he was resurrected on the third day so you too can now have the hope of resurrection? Are you ready to follow Jesus as your Savior and Lord? You can begin a new life as a follower of Jesus and know that you have eternal life and the hope of resurrection with a very simple prayer of faith. Let's bow our heads. And, and uh, those of you who have never followed Jesus before, but today you go, you know, the, the light has come on in my head all of a sudden, and, and I'm getting this, that he is the bread of life. And I want to take him in. I want that eternal life that he promises. Pray this very simple prayer with me, and then we'll all uh, pray together. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. Forgive me for my sins. Come into me and give me your new life. I'm going to follow you from now on as my Savior and my Lord. Father, we all express our gratitude today for the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the hope that we have of resurrection too. We thank you for the eternal life you've given us. We thank you that you gave your Son the bread from heaven given to the world and through him we can have eternal life. We thank you. Bless each one in Jesus' name. Amen.